You're listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast, featuring conversations on the business of transforming healthcare. Welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Sam Glick, partner with the Health and Life Sciences Practice here at Oliver Wyman. Uh, in this episode, I'm delighted to be speaking with Chris Waugh. Chris is the Chief Innovation Officer at Sutter Health, uh, which is one of the country's leading not-for-profit health systems uh, based here on the West Coast. Uh, as Sutter's first ever Chief Innovation Officer, uh, Chris draws on his experience in human-centered design to guide innovation strategy, uh, and he is working right now to develop and manage uh, a portfolio of innovations for Sutter. Uh, before Sutter, he had a decade of entrepreneurial leadership experience at IDEO, uh, which is an internationally renowned design and innovation consulting firm, uh, and he also served as vice president of design at San Francisco's One Medical Group. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me, Sam. It's great to be here. So, Chris, you had a, a wide range of experience before uh, coming to One Medical and then really getting even deeper into healthcare at Sutter. Um, what inspired you to move into the healthcare industry as a design and innovation person? I think the the uh, impetus for it was looking at the potential of what design could offer to the world and just seeing how influential it was, whether that was the financial industry or the hospitality industry or the food industry. And I could see how much significance it had in altering what people did. I mean, ultimately it's around nudging behaviors and looking at different markets and whatnot. And so uh, for me, it was how can we find applications for design where it reaches its highest potential. So rather than getting people to buy more of a certain object that was designed really well or an experience that was designed really well, healthcare felt like the right place for the best of the scientific world and the clinical world to meet the best of the design world uh, because people in healthcare are at their most vulnerable state. And it uh, was the, the place where I saw design could reach its highest potential. So that was my personal draw to it. And, and talk to me a little bit about uh, design thinking, in, in particular in healthcare. Uh, you know, I think in healthcare, but but more broadly, uh, people's initial impression of design is this is the kind of things that makes objects and spaces beautiful and useful. Um, but right, it, it's really right. about objects and spaces. I suspect you have a much broader meaning of design thinking when you think about it in healthcare. Yeah. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, when you think about experience design, it is, it's uh, sort of medium agnostic. So people, like you're saying, think about traditional design as being um, an object, you know, the shaping or the look and feel of a thing. Uh, but much of design, in fact, most of my career has been spent designing things that wouldn't make a sound if you dropped them. So the looking across what, is, what are all the touch points, what are all the things that somebody goes through, uh, in this case, in a healthcare experience. And some of those things involve a tangible object. Some of them involve uh, a physical space, you know, their inserts architecture. Some of them, uh, some of those moments are clinical. Some of those moments are, um, you know, just emotional or even spiritual in some cases. And thinking about what are 
what is that end-to-end experience and what are the moments that matter the most? And using design, really just looking at empathetically going along that journey with patients and knowing where opportunities lie to pull different levers to better engage that patient, better make healthcare perhaps more inspiring, uh, more interesting, or more resonant with how they see themselves and how they see themselves in the healthcare experience. And so as any good design thinker does, it starts with empathy. So understanding how do we meet people where they are and then being fairly tool agnostic, um, looking, we know we have marketing, we have clinical, we have architecture available to us, but we start by looking at that patient and empathizing with their journey rather than looking at the problem through that particular tool's lens. We go to the tool belt after we empathize with what's going on and what are the various moments that a person goes through and then understanding what are those moments are of high emotion or high anxiety or, or high excitement and, and understand what levers we can pull at those different steps to create a better experience for the patients and a better experience for our staff those that, are, that are delivering that care. So, I'll add to that and say, Sam, that if you look at any experience, you know, there's so many steps that we often don't think about. If you look at the end-to-end experience of, say, just a basic primary care visit, there is the trigger, the thing that makes you think you need an appointment. And then the, you may look up that condition on the internet, and that may really scare you. You might tell somebody else about it. Um, there's a whole variety of things that might happen before you even um, consider booking an appointment. Then there's booking an appointment, and there's waiting for that appointment, and there's transport to that appointment. You know, it's every detail. And if you look at all those steps, there's about 50 or so different steps. And um, a few are clinical, and there are many that are non-clinical. But what we're looking at from a design perspective is if you ladder all that up, how can you make it better um, as an end-to-end experience? Uh, so through that lens, Chris, coming coming to healthcare, thinking about the world in a way that's design oriented and empathetic, what's what's surprised you about the healthcare industry? <laughs> um, I hope the podcast is about three hours long. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of surprises. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know that I would call it a surprise, but I think one of the things that you'd expect is that it's complicated. And I think that the, when you get into it, it is, um, it's more complicated than, it, than folks can even imagine. And so one of, the, one of the challenges in healthcare that you know well and Oliver Wyman knows well is, is that it's that complication that threaded network of, you know, you pick up one rock and it leads you to 50 more that make it so difficult um, to change. And I believe it's why it keeps some designers out of this arena is that it from the outside and the inside, it is in fact true that it it's complicated. And so um, while I wouldn't call it a surprise, I believe it, it is more complicated than, than expected. And, um, and I can see why it has been difficult to change because of that legacy and uh, complication. Sorry, there's a little background noise here. Um, other surprises? I think one thing also, I think these are more about um, 
enhancement. So things that you instinctually thought that when you got in there, it was either more or less than you thought. And I knew that healthcare was purpose built, but when you, um, when you get inside, I mean, there are, there are people that sacrifice themselves the great lengths, um, to serve people and it's inspiring. Um, and it's emotional and it's, it's delightful just the, the lengths that people will go through to be selfish under the selfless under the, the spirit of, you know, treating people or healing them. And so there's, um, there's this patient comes first mentality that is inspiring. You know, it's, it's interesting. I had uh, somebody who's involved in medical school uh, education say to me, you know, the problem with the current, medical school system is that we bring in people who want to treat people and we graduate people who've learned to treat disease. Uh, and, you know, I think there's probably some of that in healthcare where you get these people who have great caring ambitions, but the system is so complicated and there's so much to know and so many um, variations and a kind of ever, ever growing clinical body of knowledge that it's hard to keep that kind of focus and that kind of motivation on empathetically viewing viewing the whole person inside of Sutter or elsewhere. What do you do to keep that motivation with somebody who, you know, may have been focusing on disease and not taking care of themselves and, um, you know, really just kind of grinding it out for 20 or 30 years, but is a really important part of the healthcare system. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're really getting at the, the kind of the core of that partially explains how, how we have arrived here and, and the healthcare system, as we know it, produces miracles on a daily basis, and we have to give uh, full respect to to those miracles and the practitioners of that delivery system. That said, my personal belief, and and I know there are many colleagues at Sutter that are al- alongside me, is that putting a disease at the center has produced great results, but it doesn't solve the whole equation. And, and it creates um, an exhaust, if you will, that uh, leaves a lot on the table. And so if you, when you talked about surprises earlier, I think it, it, is, it is not surprising that we have a system the way that we do because it is optimized with diseases at, at its core and at its center. And what it can neglect in that case is the, the person, um, the, you know, the person experiencing it um, because the disease has been the center focus. And so it is an optimized design with diseases at the center. So we hear a lot of talk right now in the industry about being patient-centered. And, and I'd like to propose that we go further than that um, in that it's, it is a human-centered system. The, the definition of patient is to suffer and to wait. And I actually don't believe that's what we're trying to do at all. We're trying to create a human-centered system of which diseases are a key part of the equation, but uh, not necessarily the exclusive center focus of the storyline. And it is my belief, it's also my religion, so I have this bias, that if we start to think of it as a human-centered system by putting people, including the practitioners, at the center of that story that we will achieve a different design and a different result. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, that, uh, you know, the historical disease-centered care 
um, as remarkable as it is, has also uh, run its course. And I believe there are more opportunities for us to be inclusive of the disease-centered care, but making that a more um, inclusive, human-centered design. Uh, I hope so. Uh, I mean, going going a little deeper on that, um, you know, one of one of the other criticisms of healthcare is the kind of inefficiency and cost of it. You know, if, if criticism one is that we're too disease-centered, criticism two is that we're too expensive for the value we give people and give the world, um, right. and increasingly right. expensive. I, I think a lot of people, when they you know they think about experience or think about design thinking picture something that's that's relatively opulent. It's a premium service. Uh, it's a better looking place. Right. It's a nice location. It's a lot of human touch. Is that at odds with the need to take this cost out of healthcare or should we be thinking more broadly? I think we should be flying right into the eye of the storm and that and uh, that that design often gets positioned in that camp. And I think it's uh, it has many examples, um, whether it be Apple or Airbnb or many Silicon Valley examples that really do start in more of a premium segment and trickle down. But my belief is, you know, design thinking is being used to reimagine education. It's being used to reimagine how we distribute water in third world countries. It's being used to reimagine whole systems regardless of socioeconomic level. And so I think those stories don't often gain the highlight um, as Fast Company would cover something like Apple's next invention or design design thinking as it applies to a, a younger or more affluent crowd. But design thinking definitely found its legs in, in many camps. And so my belief for healthcare is that design thinking is not reserved to an exclusive population, but it could be the very way that we reimagine how Medicare could be more efficient or how we better investigate why there's abuse of the system or recurring ER readmissions. Those end up being, when you really unpack them, human-centered problems, right? We may find that someone's coming to the ER because it's a warm place to sleep. That's a human-centered problem. That's an unmet need. There's a latent need there. And it's an emotional need that isn't being well designed for. And so that holistic level of using human-centered design, to me, gets right in the heart of the matter here, which is to prop people up, put them back out in the world only to see them come back again is a very expensive way to go. I think the the um, human-centered design way of looking at things says, what's the, what's the true story here and what's really going on versus um, what people are just saying is going on. So what human-centered design tends to be really good at is looking beyond what people say and do and get to the roots of what they think and feel to unpack the behaviors. And this, an example of this is, is uh, what we touched on lightly earlier is if information was the answer to create health outcomes and health change, uh, we wouldn't have an obesity crisis anymore. We'd have a much better rate of diabetic control. But those conditions are often driven by emotion, right? And the, the emotional outcomes are driving health moments that matter and health um, benefit and health demise. And so if we're truly in the healthcare business, you know, really we're in the behavior change business. And 
we ask a lot of people, what does healthcare feel like? And they say, if we use the metaphor of a day a week, and uh, they would say, generally speaking, I ask rooms this all the time, what day of the week does healthcare feel like? Most people say Monday. Some will say Monday after a three-day weekend. <laughs> and <laughs> if we start with that, we say healthcare feels like a Monday. If healthcare feels like a Monday, how in the world would we think that it would inspire and engage and interest people in the actual art of being treated and the commitment that they need to successfully um, proceed in a protocol or a, a particular adherence regime or a lifestyle change? If that's coming from a Monday, that's something you're not going to want to come back to very often. And it's not something you want to be reminded of very often. And so I think about this in the digital world all the time is if, if I have an app that's constantly reminding me that I'm a diabetic, how many times am I going to pick it up? Whereas if it's well-designed, it knows that I'm a human being living with diabetes. And if it truly understands me, it's in a dialogue with me that's empathic with what it's like to actually live in the real world and what it's like to actually go to a birthday party with cake, and what it's like to be socially tempted by behaviors that I know affect my disease. And so our relatability and our ability to design a system that inspires and engages our patients in behavior changes and adherence to medication and adherence to different protocols is, in my opinion, what we need to get to the cost reduction that keeps a lot of the recurring uh, reuse and abuse of a system um, that's very, very expensive to, to run. And so, you, you know, we see different examples of this, say, in different um, capitation models or, what, or whatnot, where the incentive structure is to keep people healthy. And I think we're, we're embarking on a time here where the economic conditions are ripely set for us to be a more engaging platform rather than a Monday and a last resort place to go um, to kind of fall into again and again and again. So I believe the socioeconomic levels are, are agnostic to the real opportunity here, which is to design a system that functions no matter who you are and how much money you make or what race you are. We just need to be really thoughtful about the design to meet those people where they are in a system that can better enable them to succeed in their job, which is to be their own doctor 99% of the time. So, Chris, you, you started in healthcare at a place that had a very specific focus. It was a, one medical with a focus on the primary care experience for a very particular type of patient. You're now at Sutter, which sees uh, every type of patient in every type of environment uh, with almost every type of condition. Um, what are you tackling yeah. first? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm looking at our priority list, and, and on a bad day, it looks like we're tackling everything. Um, but uh, in the beginning of the week, it feels very focused and great. So we're tackling, first off, I think you'll appreciate that we are tackling healthcare from the lens of the people experiencing it, not from a let's solve problems in healthcare outward, uh, because that leaves a lot of blind spots that could be addressed. So, for example, one of our primary priorities is what we call everyday health. This is um, the, the high frequency utilization of just everyday health, primary care visits, routine health, chronic disease management. This is everyday health management. Um, the system may call that primary care, 
but when we talk to people, that either that might not be a term that resonates with them. That might not be the construct that they think about it. And we have to be open to an evolution from the traditional notion of what we've called primary care, whether that's meeting you in a new way through telemedicine, whether that's an ongoing dialogue through digital interaction, whether that is simple friction reduction, like delivering medication to your doorstep instead of introducing additional steps where you have to know if the pharmacy's open and know if it's fulfilled. You know, in life, we find that it's these really, really simple things that often trip us up. Um, and, and sometimes it's just really simple stuff like, is it ready for me or not? Or are they open or not? That is the difference between going and not going. So we're looking at everyday health and everyday friction and where can we reduce uh, pain points for the end user. The next category of focus is new life, so labor and delivery and um, delight of patients and new moms and dads and what can we do in that space to um, help set up parents for success um, as, they, as they bring new life to the world. That's a, such an honor and a privilege for us to play that role. Sutter delivers over 90 babies a day and it's, it's a real gift for us to play that role in people's lives and also echoes why I came here. Um, mental health is an area of focus. We know it's a, it's, uh, and you know this well too, it is a, it's an area that is under-resourced and uh, really is a trigger point for a lot of other health conditions. And so we're thinking about mental health reimbursement is a big part of the challenge um, in mental health. And so fundamentally just starting to step back and reimagine how we think about mental health in the United States. Uh, the fourth category we call compassionate hospitalization. So those that are unfortunate enough to find themselves in a hospital setting, how do we make that a more compassionate experience? So we partner with the outside world wherever we can to do that. And one of those companies is called uh, Volano Vascular, where we can do a blood draw on a patient with an IV. And that keeps us from poking and waking up patients during the night to do uh, blood draws. And so what that enables for a patient is a better night's sleep. And we think that's pretty important when it comes to healing and recovering. So we look at opportunities like that to make the, the hospitalization experience more empathic and compassionate. Um, the fifth area we're, we're exploring is end of life. As you know, it's a very expensive uh, part of the healthcare arena. There's really, you can see the graphs around hockey sticks and the expense um, related to the three trillion and what we spend around the end of life. So reimagining how we think about end of life, we opened a open innovation challenge with IDEO, um, looking at reimagining end of life very holistically, not just the clinical parts, but how do we think about end of life and have collaborated with open IDEO and BJ Miller um, and have had over 89 countries contribute ideas to that end of life challenge. And then lastly, and this is a bit of a catch all so you can hold me accountable to it, is we just call it moments of high confusion and anxiety. So just looking at healthcare and looking at places that are really um, difficult for people to understand. A lot of times this may be financial, so it's simple, basic things like what's left on your deductible or how much is a copay. And, um, the billing process. So just exploring at a high level, where are these moments of high confusion and anxiety for, for patients and people that are using the system? And how can we either eliminate or reduce confusion and anxiety across various steps? 
So, Chris, I mean, you've got quite a list ahead of you. It sounds like you're going to be busy for a while. Uh, I'll ask you the question <laughs> I ask help, everybody. Dan. I'll ask you the question I ask everybody yeah. is my last question. You know, in, in 60 seconds or less, you know, given, given your experience with healthcare so far, if you, you had a magic wand and time and money and talent weren't issues, uh, what's the one thing you would, you would change about the system to make it better for everybody? Uh, you know, I think I would just pick a really simple one, like waiting. Um, but what I think about are just some of the simple things. So text um, from friends that know I'm in healthcare. I had one come through the other day, and, and she said, um, my appointment's at 2. I'm really looking forward to this. This is a, a new mom going through um, a series of appointments preparing for labor. 2.30, she texted me and said, I'm in the second uh, she called it the weight of shame, which means I was, I'm, I moved from the lobby to the exam room, and now I'm waiting here. My appointment was at 2. At 2.55, she texted and she said, I hate her, and she's referring to her clinician. And I thought it was just really interesting because you've got a patient that was started actually excited about this appointment, and because of the time delays and because of the disrespect of her time, the patient's time, she moves into a state of real contention with not only the system, but with this provider. And I felt bad for two people. I felt bad for her, which is now she's got an unpredictable time rate of not knowing what her afternoon's going to look like and what to tell her employer about being late, et cetera. But I also felt bad for the provider because the provider's just trying to deliver care, and is pro we have no idea what the context was around being late, but it's most likely due to great care for somebody else. And so the two parties enter the room in this difficult position that a provider needs to recover from. So I would take on something simple like waiting, and the end state in a design world, often we think about versioning, like ultimately version 10 is you don't wait at all. So you're heading to an emergency room, and in a not-so-distant future, we know you're on your way. Why doesn't the clock start ticking when you're on your way rather than when you arrive? And so thinking about things like that. But in the short term, it's, you know, how can we make waiting at least more interesting, uh, if not more predictable, if people are going to have to wait? So an idealized state as a design world is we eliminate waiting. But as we get to that state is how do we make waiting more productive, more interesting, more predictable, as we're working on the designs that'll get us to a no waiting experience. I'll take that one for sure. Chris, thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sam. You've been listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. Oliver Wyman Health is a virtual community of innovators convened by the health and life sciences practice of global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. Find us online at health.oliverwyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor.